You're listening to Red Leg Nation Radio, the official podcast of RedLegNation.com. Hey there, podcasters. This is Chad Dotson. Welcome back to Red Leg Nation Radio. Don't forget you can subscribe to Red Leg Nation Radio via iTunes or by clicking on the RN Radio tab at the top of RedLegNation.com, or as many of you do, you can play it right here at RedLegNation.com. Just click on the podcast player on the right, select your episode, and enjoy. This is episode number 14 of the podcast, and we have a good show for you today. Our intrepid reporter, Bill Lack, he just talked with former Reds pitcher and current Reds broadcaster, Chris Welsh. Welsh is our favorite broadcaster at RedLegNation.com, and not only because... He's given us some time recently, um, but also because the guy's just, he, he tells it like it is. Um, he doesn't, uh, he, he's not afraid of some of the newer statistics. I wouldn't call him a sabermetrician, but on the other hand, uh, he's very, has a very open mind. And I think that's a, a rare quality in broadcasters these days. Bill and, and Chris Welsh had a great conversation. They covered a lot of topics, and we'll play that for you here in a moment. Not a lot going on in Red Leg Nation this week in terms of newsworthy items. Edwin Encarnacion signed a two-year deal. That was a, a fairly big item in the news uh, in Redsland this week. And Edwin, as you'll know if you followed RedLegNation.com, is my current favorite Red. I, I just like the way this kid, I like his makeup. Um, I like his potential. I like the fact that he works harder than anyone on the team. Um, I just I love, love, love this uh, two-year deal they signed Encarnacion to. I'm a big fan, and I expect him to have a monster year in 2009. What do you think about Edwin Encarnacion? Log on to RedLegNation.com. Send, send me a message at chat at RedLegNation.com or tell us right there on the website your thoughts on Edwin Encarnacion. Um, what else going on? Spring training games, actual games begin this week, and as usual, watching the pitchers is going to be very interesting this year, this spring. Um, for the first time that I can remember, we all expect the pitching to be the strength of the Reds, but there's still a few questions on that topic. Um, the biggest question for me, really, is who's going to win that uh, fifth starters role. Uh, I really hope that Homer Bailey will step up, have a good performance, and claim that role. But I do expect Micah Owings, actually, to win that spot outright. That's my that's my prediction, but I'm really hoping that we see something special out of Bailey this spring, see him really start to realize some of that potential. Second question that I think is uh, we need to look at this spring with respect to the starting pitching, Aaron Harang, is he going to rebound? Uh, this, frankly, is much more important to the Reds' chances than that fifth starter spot. Uh, if Harang can return to something approximating his 2007 form, the Reds are going to be in high cotton. I mean, this guy has was a stud for three years previously, previous to last year, and uh, obviously a down year last year for whatever reason. I'm really hopeful that he's going to be able to return to form in 2009. Uh, another big question with respect to the pitching is, what should we as Reds fans expect from Edinson Volquez and Johnny Cueto? Um, I think there are a lot of Reds fans expecting a lot, especially from Volquez, and I think that everyone needs to sort of temper their enthusiasm and their expectations just a bit. Don't forget these guys are both young, uh, Cueto especially, so it would not be very surprising to see either or both of them take a small step backwards in terms of their numbers this year. Um, with respect to Volquez, I just I don't see how you can improve on his numbers from last year. 
if he pitched exactly the same, um, consider me extremely satisfied. Quite oh, there's a chance he could take a step forward. But on the other hand, he is a young pitcher. Young pitchers are inconsistent. And I wouldn't be surprised if he uh, either stagnated or um, showed minimal improvement this year. On the other hand, he is, uh, he's is—he's got a bright future ahead of him. I don't think anyone needs to uh, read too much into to a poor year for Cueto this year, although I'm, I'm hopeful that it's going to be a good one. So those are the things we're going to be watching closely uh, for developments. And not to mention that there are some real questions here in the spring that need to be answered about left field, uh, about shortstop, and, of course, the never-ending topic that I'm not going to say anything more of than just to state the question, why in the name of all that is good and pure is Brandon Phillips hitting cleanup for this team? Okay, I am going to say something else. We're going to have to start a grassroots, put Edwin Encarnacion in the middle of the lineup organization to uh, try to lobby the Reds, especially Dusty Baker, to get Brandon Phillips out of that four hole. It's ridiculous. Is there a worse? I'm going to, I'm going to stop right there. Brandon Phillips is a nice player. I really like Brandon Phillips. As second baseman go, he feels with the best of them. He plays hard, usually. He's been known to sort of hot dog it a little bit, but he hits uh, he hits well for a second baseman. He is a good player. I'm glad he's a red. He That said, let's not uh, you know say that he's a number four hitter. He's not. Um, he has some things that he does very well. Um, I just don't think his skill set approximates what you would like to see out of a cleanup hitter. So Edwin Encarnacion may not yet either, but on the other hand, I think he's got that potential. He gets on base. He hits the ball hard. I'm really excited to see what he's going to do this year. Okay, what else is going on? Uh, around baseball, I guess Ken Griffey Jr. signed a contract this week with the Seattle Mariners. Good for him. I hope uh, Jr. proves everyone wrong this year. Really puts up some outstanding numbers. He's always been one of our favorites. I hate the way things turned out in Cincinnati, but the, you know, as it were, the Reds really had to move on from Griffey this year. And uh, I don't really fault them for that move, but uh, I'd really like to see Junior going home to Seattle, and uh, so to speak, and I'd like to see him put up some good numbers. All right, that's enough of me. I know you're sick of hearing me anyway, so let's move on to uh, back to Chris Welsh. Welsh has spoken with a Red, Le- Red Leg Nation before. You can find that interview if you check in the right sidebar. There's a box that says RN Exclusives and uh, at RedLegNation.com. And I'll have the previous interview we did with him a couple years ago. He's always a delight. It's a great interview. You're really going to enjoy it. Uh, Bill had a chance to catch up with him yesterday in Cincinnati. Take it away, Bill. Here we are again at Champions Baseball Academy. And today we are thrilled to spend a little time with Reds announcer Chris Welch. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing well, Bill. You sound so good. Don't be, don't be taking my job now. <laughs> yeah, that's going to happen. It's been a long time since we've talked. Again, thank we appreciate your time. Um, there have been big changes in, in, your, in the broadcasting for the Reds since we spoke in yeah. 06. And, and, and Steve Stewart was coming in at that time, and one of the things we talked about was how difficult it was going to be to replace Joe Nuxall. Did Steve get a fair shot in Cincinnati, or, or was he kind of a victim of the Reds having the opportunity to bring Tom Brenneman home? Well, I think you're exactly right with the opportunity to bring Tom home, get him reunited with Marty again. Uh, you know, it's always nice to get an announcer with some national credibility. Uh, I mean, and, and, and Tom's got that. Uh, so it's also difficult to come in and try to fill the shoes of Joe Nuxall. I think that's why when John Allen hired Steve Stewart, he went for a guy who wasn't a former player, 
who would take a temporary uh, and a short-term contract. And, uh, you know, the Reds did a nice job, nice thing for Steve Stewart. They kept him on actually the year after they let him go from the broadcast booth. They made him head of the Speaker's Bureau, so he made some money. He was able to go out in the marketplace and to give speeches and so on and kind of hang around long enough to be able to, to move on to Kansas City where he is right now. And he, and he couldn't have been... I mean, he had to understand the difficult position he was walking into. I think he was happy to have a major league announcing job, sitting in a chair next to a Hall of Famer like Marty Brenneman. That opportunity does not get offered to all that many people. So if you're in that spot, uh, you have to be more thankful than bitter, no matter what happens. The, the broadcasting, the, the way the Reds run, the, you guys run your broadcasting teams has changed dramatically. It's become a, a revolving group. You know, you work with different people all the time, other than you and, and George Grant are always on television. Marty only does radio. But Tom and, and Jeff seem to go back and forth. What are the good points and bad points of this, do you see? Well, the good points are is that, you know, now we televise 145 games. I don't think we were doing anywhere near that many in 2006. Uh, so it's very difficult for, you know, one announcer to do all those games, especially on television. There's a little more, I kid Marty about this, but there, there, it, it's harder to do a television game than it is a radio game as far as your prep. I'm sure he uh, loves hearing well, that. Well, I mean, <laughs> I think he probably admits it, too. I mean, he realizes that he can sit down with him nowadays, with his knowledge of the team and his knowledge of broadcasting and baseball and his talent, obviously, he can sit down and do a, a, a radio game without a lot of effort, just because it's so natural to him. Television is so produced. There are so many sponsors that we have to have, a sponsored element. This is brought to you by Ford. You know, this, this special event of the game is, this slow pitch is, this replay of a home run is brought to you by. So there's certain a lot of things that you have to get in there ahead of time. And there are also a lot of things that have to be visually prepared before the game begins. Uh, maybe it's a leaderboard of, uh, it's simply as simple something as a leaderboard of the, of the, the, the standings in the league. Uh, all the way down to, <clears throat> you know, there are two guys on this team that are hitting in the top five of uh, with runners and on base percentage or something like that. Uh, so. These are the things that you kind of try to ferret out through some research ahead of time. You go to your stats guy and say, hey, did you know that this game features four of the top five players in the league in this weird category over here? Let's build a table that shows that, or let's build a graph. So there's a lot more things that you prepare ahead of time. You may only get to 20% of them, uh, but you build them in case you use them. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing that changes with television. But, I mean, getting back to, the, to <clears throat> being able to do 145 games as one announcer, that's a difficult thing to do. I think that's why almost every team you see shifts their announcers out uh, one way or another. And whether the pros and cons of it, I can't tell you. That, that's up to the viewers to figure out there. Going back to what you were just talking about a minute ago, the, uh, the graphics and that kind of thing that you bring up, when that's, do you get a, something in your ear that tells you that's coming up on the screen and so you can talk about it, or do you see it on a monitor and you talk about it, or how does that work in, well, in terms of the actual? I've got to invite you up to the booth and show you how something I would love stuff. that. You know, you're, you're, you're open invitation right now. Oh, I would love that. Uh, the way it works is this, is that uh, we have a meeting ahead of the game about 4 o'clock in the afternoon with our uh, graphics coordinator, and I have an idea of what is going on. I give him a scouting report of what the pitchers are going to throw that night, uh, we go through some of the unusual things that may happen in this lineup. Uh, don't you know? And he and he's—they've been there since noon, 
And they look through the team notes, they look through all the newspapers. Nowadays, it's so easy to get all these stats. It is, even as few as five or six years ago, you couldn't get these things. Now they're everywhere. Uh, so we have some idea of where the game's going to go and kind of the storyline of each game. If it's a, a pitching matchup that's just really good, then we emphasize that. If it's a couple of teams that are bringing sluggers in here, uh, then you know, we emphasize those things. Uh, and then he'll build these, these graphics. And then about a half hour before we go on the air, we'll sit down in the booth and he'll show us the graphics that they built you know, very quickly to go through them so we know what's there. And I'll write down some notes about them so I know which is there and so on. So then when it presents itself in the sixth inning when so-and-so leads off with a base hit, and he is, you know, then this graphic is apropos because, you know, he, uh, he steals more bases after the sixth inning than anybody else in baseball or some quirky stat. Then we throw that graphic up there. And I do hear something in my ear. Uh, we talk to the truck constantly. Uh, the director and a producer and the graphics coordinator will come on sometimes and, and I'll say, hey, do you have that graphic that features Albert Pujols versus Josh Fogg? You know, and, and uh, he'll say, yep, here, it's coming up next, right after this pitch. So it's, it's a really a team-coordinated thing. Does your, your job differ depending on who you're paired up with? No, no, it really doesn't. It, uh, it, the personalities are always different. You know, I've worked with George mostly. I can work with Tom now. I've worked in Fox games with, uh, you know, from Kenny Albert to, you know, to Tom on Fox games. And lots. You know, the personalities are, are different. Uh, where they like to, how much they talk, and where they end their sentences. The, the cardinal rule in baseball announcing is, number one, do not talk while the pitch is being thrown. Because you never know what's going to happen. If a guy's hitting a home run and you're telling a story about a, a player that was around here 10 years ago, you're going to sound like a fool yapping through it. And that's one thing that really gets on the executives back in, in California. The Fox guys are watching. They don't like you to talk during the pitch. And the other thing is, is that, uh, uh, that you don't want to talk over your partner. So when he stops, you want to make sure that he's not prone to run on sentences. And uh, he, like, hesitate. He doesn't throw you a curveball or a changeup in the middle of a delivery. There were times I bet that was tough working with Joe because Joe had a tendency to stop (laughs) (laughs) and then pick up again. Or just have an outburst for no reason. Do you see your job as entertaining, educating, analyzing, all of the above? Probably all of the above. I think uh, with an emphasis more on entertainment. You know, not that many people want to be educated. I mean, there are some hardcore fans out there that do. And there are some, there, I mean, and I, the educated part, I actually try to focus towards the kids. You know, hey, if you're a kid pitching at home, watch Aaron Harang. You know, the analyzation of it is, is you know, less, less important sometimes. Um, and entertainment, I think, is the most, is the biggest thing. You know, you don't want to turn on a TV and be bored. You want to have fun. So, even if it's a serious game, it's entertainment. That's why we watch baseball anyway. Do, do you feel like you evaluate the players on the air? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I think I do. Do you, when you when you feel you do? I break, I'll tell you what I'd like to do, Bill. I break them down according to the way a scout would look at them. That kind of an evaluation. I don't give them a grade, you know, good or bad. But I say, here are strengths and weaknesses. And, you know, here's what he can do, and here's what he usually is unable to do. So in that sense, you don't, you don't, when you're doing that, you don't look at things like what kind of contract they have no. or their age or the amount of experience that they have. Well, yeah, you have to bring age and experience okay. into it uh, because what you're trying to do is to project what might happen here. 
here's a matchup where you have a low ball pitcher versus a low ball hitter. You want to make that observation right away so that the common fan may not know that this is a low ball pitcher. So now, who's going to win this battle of a guy whose strength is both, both in the bottom part of the strike zone? And that's so you kind of bring it up, you let it happen. We can't talk about Reds broadcasters if we've already done without bringing up Joe. Joe was a Reds fan. There was never any doubt, and Joe was a homer. There was never any doubt. And that's how, that was his trademark. Sure. Are you a Reds fan? Oh, yeah, yeah. Are you a homer? Sometimes, certainly, yeah. Are you a homer when you broadcast? I think so. I mean, there are degrees of homeless. Sure, there's Joe. I mean, yeah, there, there's Joe, and then there's, there's the rest of us, you know, yeah. tending towards the middle. Um, I mean, it's interesting because when I do a Fox Saturday game, you know, you really, I'm working with either a neutral announcer or an announcer from the other team. And, you know, you, you, uh, you have to play it as close to the middle as you possibly can. Uh, but I got to tell you, when, when the Reds are playing the Cubs, I'm a lot more homer than, you know, than not. Marty has become kind of a polarizing figure with fans in town these days. Uh, he, call, he's, he calls a great game. I don't, I don't know that maybe other than Vince Scully that there's anybody that calls the game better than Marty Brennan does. But to some of us, he's seemed to become very bitter in the last few years on the air. Does, does he seem to enjoy his job as much as he used to, or, or is the Reds being non-competitive for a long time now? kind of beat him down. I mean, it would be tough to do 160 games where they're, you know, you're getting into August and the games don't mean anything. I can't comment on the bitterness uh, observation because I don't listen, I don't get to listen to him that much. Uh, so I haven't noticed that. I can tell you he loves being there. He loves the games. He loves working baseball. Uh, I don't know whether he sounds more bitter or whether he's bored or, or not, I, I have no idea. The times I've listened to him, I agree with you. I think no one delivers it better than Marty does. Uh, he's just got that knack. Uh, so I, all I can tell you is that he loves being around baseball, loves being at the ballpark, and uh, he's one of the funniest guys you've ever been around. When we talked a couple of years ago, you talked about Bob Castellini being a, a no-nonsense man that has a vision and more a man of action than a man of words. Since we spoke, do you think he's changed as an owner? No, no, I don't think he's changed one bit. He's still a man of action. I mean, he's run through a couple of general managers, right? He's run a manager out of town. Uh, he's let his couple of superstar players go. Uh, he's uh, okayed the trade uh, to send the potentially the one of the best players in, in, in baseball and Josh Hamilton off for a pitcher that he probably never heard of, but his scouts people were telling him that Volquez is good. So, yeah, I think he... He's a man of action, I tell you. He, and you know what else? He is empowering his people uh, in the Reds organization the same way he does in his other businesses, where he gives those guys responsibility. His son, Phil, is running the, the non-baseball end of the business. They're, they've done more things in the last two years than the Reds have done in their previous 15. Great. You had a, you had a, a, long, a fairly long-term relationship with Wayne Kriske before he was hired with the Reds. Well, I well, you have to tell you, we were that, you I mean, I've known him for a long relationship. I mean, you weren't dating or anything. Okay, right. let's get that clear. And, and you said that the hiring of him, you called it a huge move when we talked for the franchise. Did Wayne get a fair deal here, or were his days numbered when the minute Walt Jockety left the Cardinals? Wayne changed his personality more than anybody I've ever seen change. Wow. Almost overnight. And um, I thought it was good 
when Wayne was hired because I really finally felt that they were getting a baseball guy in there. I was so tired of the Jim Bowden tactics, um, which was really not rely on your scouts as much as rely on other people, and, 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 and more of a, a conspiracy approach to, to being a general manager as opposed to evaluating your own players honestly. So I, I was happy when Wayne got that job. Um, but what I, didn't fail, what I failed to realize at the time is that Wayne was a scout, number one. He's a player evaluator, and a pretty good one. And he and I had talked a lot of times about certain players. And I had thought that based on what our conversations were, that he would evaluate players the way he used to. But the scouting fraternity is a very tight one. And here's what happens when you're a scout. <clears throat> you're a scout and I'm a scout, Bill. Okay, we go to a game, and I'm supposed to fill out everything there is to know about the Pittsburgh Pirates. I see them for a three-game series, but there are two guys that didn't get in the games. So i got to leave town and follow the Cubs now. But you're still going to be following the Pirates because you're scouting for somebody else who happens to be playing the Pirates. I call you up and say, hey, did you see so-and-so play? And have you seen so-and-so? And you'll tell me, yeah. Here, here's the deal on this guy. This is how he runs. This is how we th We're passing information back and forth to help out the scouting fraternity. When you go from a scout to a GM, that fraternity dries up, that content. He can no longer call any other scout or any other of his former friends who are now working for another team because now he's the man as a GM. And he didn't really have set up within the Reds organization people that he could trust to make these moves. That was one thing. And I think the other thing was is that, that Wayne was a guy who, who had his uh, teeth cut in Minnesota. That was a build from within an organization. Always has been. They've never been big in the free agent market. Rarely did they make huge blockbuster trades either. Building up that farm system takes time. And he really wanted to do that and wanted to do that. And I think that he um, uh, wasn't here long enough to find out the, the, you know, the fruits of his efforts. Um, but would I rather have Walt Jockety as a GM? Absolutely. I'd, rather, I'd like to see Wayne in the organization. But I like Walt as a GM. You talked then about the team having a plan now, and it, that they didn't, that they apparently didn't have before. Do they still have a plan, and is it the same plan that you saw three years ago? I think the plan plan changes uh, depending on what your personnel are, where you are as far as minor league talent. You know, three years ago they didn't have the <clears throat> the kind of uh, players that they have now. I mean, you know, they'd have a young, they didn't have a young nucleus that they had now. They had all these old guys. We had the leftovers that Bowden would, would, would grab from other teams, throw up against the wall, see who sticks. Now that you've got you know, some young players coming through the organization, like Bruce and Votto, and you know, they obtained Phillips. That was a good move by, by Krivsky. Um, you know, those are the kind of things that make your team younger. And now you're in a position to say, hey, what do we got in the minor leagues left? What do we need to fill holes with? So your plan changes. As long as you have one and you understand what it is, it's important. Do you think Mr. Castellini making the comments he made about the Reds were going to win now and we're not going to lose anymore? Did they put them in a, put the team in a tough position? Come on, you got to hold the guy to those comments literally. <laughs> I mean, come on, he, he's like you and me. He was trying to sell tickets. Yeah, Absolutely. I don't know that. I mean, he really believes that he wanted to. I mean, he oh, wants to win so badly he believes it. I mean, it didn't matter. Uh, you know, it's like a little mouse that, that roared. 
I mean, he's got this little team over here, and he, he knows really maybe the deep inside he may know that they're not that good. But by God, he's going to believe that they're that good, and he hopes that each one of his players adopts the same attitude. And if they had, they would have been a better team than they were last year. Okay. Other than Marty and, and the Stowe family, has there been anybody been around longer than you have? God, you know, I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of scary, isn't yeah. it? And, and, and pulling on that experience and all the managers you've seen this team have, what are Dusty Baker's positive and negatives as a manager? Well, his positives are his people skills. Uh, he, if you'll notice, he'll never throw a player under the bus in the media. Players appreciate that. I play for guys that will rip you in the media first and then call you into their office second. Players don't dig that at all. Uh, that's his number one uh, ability, I think, is to, to work the team like that. Uh, he's hip. He gets it. I mean, Dusty gets it. He, he sees what's going on. Um, his uh, deficiencies, in my, my, my book anyway, and this is all up to opinion, uh, is to how he actually runs a game. He's much better dealing with the players, dealing with the media, dealing with the front office than he is actually running the game. Now, if you read Sparky Anderson's book about managing, running the game is the least important thing of all. So it's how you deal with all those other things that are important. He does. He's got some, got some uh, winning behind him. You know, he's got some some accolades as a manager. So, uh, a lot. But you know what? I've always thought though that the manager is a, is an overrated position. It really is. Um, if you don't have a horses to win, oh, it doesn't matter. It does not matter when Joe Torre married managed in Atlanta never won a thing. <laughs> All of a sudden, he got smart when he went to the Yankees. Didn't he? <laughs> um, when Dusty came here, he had he had the reputation of being a, a veteran club manager, and now he's got a bunch of young guys, and they're, uh, you have to believe they're going to get younger in the next couple of years. Now you're saying one of his strengths is his communication skills and his dealing with players. Will that be a good thing with a minor with with young team? Yeah, I think so. As long as he uses his whole team, and what we observed last year that he didn't use his whole team. There are some guys who barely played. Andy Phillips went through a streak, I think. Two weeks, 17 days without getting in a ball game. Uh, and then he get called on to be a pinch hitter. I mean, this is without getting in a game where you're actually going to get more than one at bat. Um, I think that those managers that excel nowadays use their entire roster a little bit more. Uh, but this wasn't Dusty's team last year. He inherited, he inherited Dunn and Griffey, and he couldn't move Griffey out of the number three spot because even though he deserved to be out of the three spot, he wasn't going to be the guy to come in and say, hey, Junior, you're out of here now. Because he figured Junior would be going after that year anyway. This is the year to evaluate the team. So I think it will help Dusty and help this team uh, that he's got uh, those good people skills, especially when it comes to young players. This does this team does not need a a, a, a Bill Verdon disciplinarian. No, they, they they need to be able to let be let play. He also came to the Reds with a reputation of being tough on pitchers. A lot of pit, you know, the prior, the wood things. There was some, there was some San Francisco. Those are two unfair things, by the way. I, As you can tell now, because T Kerry Wood had a terrible delivery, absolutely horrible. But and and, and so did Mark Pryor. And everybody who said Mark Pryor had the kind of delivery that is a textbook delivery never read the real textbook. Uh, I could tell you right then and there when, when the way he pulled his glove out or hand out of his glove, he was going to blow his shoulder out. So uh, I think that he got a bum rap there, uh, Dusty did, but. He's tough on pitchers. He likes certain pitchers, and he'll go with them. He wore Mike Lincoln out last year. Um, but Mike Lincoln was hot, and Mike Lincoln will take the ball. 
uh, Aaron Harang pitching that extra inning game. Now, he'll tell you and Dusty will tell you that that wasn't a turning point in the season, but there's a lot of Reds observers that will say that was a turning point in the season. And that not only did they pitch Aaron Harang come back on uh, in the 16-inning game, they pitched him three days later as a start. So, uh, you know, but, but it's the man in these pitchers that will say, give me the ball, I'll take it. And that's where a manager has to temper himself. But Dusty Baker should be listening to his pitching coach. That's why Dick Pohl is there. And if Dick Pohl's not giving him the good information, then there's a breakdown of communication somewhere. Do you, are you a pitch count guy? You believe to a certain extent. But not a, you don't think? Not a hard, not when he gets to 105, we get him out of there. Yeah. I'm looking for trends. I'm looking for um, the batters to tell me when the guy's got to, you know. Add. I am I'm more of a pitch count guy early in the season. I am a true believer is that you have to take care of your pitchers from pitch count early in the year if you're going to have them in September. What about age? Have young pitchers more older? Oh pitchers? yeah, age too. I mean, you know, you you got to be careful with Cueto and and and, and Volquez and you know, Michael Owings if he makes the team or or Homer Bailey. <clears throat> I mean, Arroyo and, and Harang, a little different, a little different. They know how to pitch more than these guys do, and it all comes down to knowing how to pitch rather than your pitch count. Talking about Dick Pohl, when we talked a couple of years ago, you said the pitching coach in the major leagues doesn't instruct as much as one's doing the minors. What exactly are the responsibilities of a major league pitching coach? you got to be a psychiatrist, a big brother, uh, your parish priest so you can hear his confession from time to time, and uh, maybe a cheerleader. Do, do different pitching coaches have different philosophies of pitching, or does it more gravitate towards the pitchers that they have? I think they have different philosophies. I mean, uh, uh, there's not only one way to pitch. I mean, you can pitch like Roger Clemens, and you can pitch like Greg Maddox, and then you can pitch like Jamie Moyer. So there's a lot of different ways to skin them. Uh, I think it's it's getting the most out of each of your players and pitchers. Uh, and remember, a pitching co- Leo Mazzoni was a great pitching coach in Atlanta because he had three Hall of Famers on his staff that never missed a start. I mean, if you have Tommy Glavin and Greg Maddox on your pitching staff, you're going to be a smart pitcher. You're going to just listen to those guys and be a smart pitching coach. So I think that, you know, Don Gullo was a good pitching coach, but look what he had to do. He had to rehab guys all the time, and Bowden would bring in a bunch of guys that were fringe major leaguers, and if he made one of them into a really good one, like, say, Pete Shurick, you know, he was successful. But it's a lot easier to be a good pitching coach when you have a bunch of good pitchers. Are there organizational pitching and hitting philosophies? Yeah, there are. What are, the, what are the Reds? Well, you know, I'm not exactly sure because they've changed uh, some of the people who run those things. I've always thought that that organizational philosophy should trickle down from the top, the pitching coach or the hitting coach, and then everybody in the minor league system should do that. And I think they're becoming more uniform in doing that. Uh, what used to burn me up is that I would see the pitching coaches down in the minor leagues, uh, especially in the first year, say, summer ball team, like uh, Billings. Uh, Billings or somewhere like that, uh, where he would be a you know, junior college coach. Uh, you know, and it would almost be that he hired, he got the job because he was cheap. Well, in my book, that's where I put my best pitching coach because I'm giving him guys that I have millions of dollars in, in bonuses invested in. And they're the future of my ball club. And I, I want them to be, to be solid right from the very beginning. And the story I tell is about Jack Billingham, who for years used to be the, the Lakeland coach or the Kissimmee coach for the Houston Astros. And for years and years, the Astros are bringing along pretty good pitchers, and I always thought it was because they had 
Billingham, who was a great pitching coach, solid as a rock there, each year in and year out. He lived in Florida, stayed there. They weren't interested in moving him out of there, moving him up the ladder. But they would be the first guy that he would see. And he had credibility because he pitched as a great major league pitcher with a terrific team, obviously the big red machine. And he was a huge guy, and he had a simple philosophy of pitching. Um, and I think that if the Reds don't have a, a philosophy on pitching, they should. Uh, I think that what's helped them in the last couple of years is Mario Soto around. There's more guys emphasizing change-ups. Uh, they brought some guys in the organization back. Ted Power is now pitching coach with Louisville. Tom Browning is going to be in double-A. And um, Bob Forsh, I think, is going to be in Billings. And, 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 and Forsh is in Billings. I think, you, you know, I like that. I like that combo. Okay, let's. Uh, most publications, a lot of the blogs, don't see the Reds being very successful this season. With the roster this team has right now, would you predict them to win more games this year than they did last year? Yes. Well, they win 73 or 74 last year. Somewhere right in yeah. there. Yeah. Why do you think they'll win more? Well, I think they're. I think they're. They've gotten out of the Griffey and Dunn black cloud. Uh, you can talk about all the offense you want with these guys, but. Uh, that was a horrible clubhouse last year, and it was a bad place to have kids. I mean, young players. <clears throat> I'm not saying that, that that Junior and Dunn are bad guys. They're not. They're good guys. Were they good teammates? Absolutely. But were they good for that particular team last year? I don't think so. Uh, they both probably felt like that they weren't going to be back after after that last year, and it began to show. They gave efforts. I mean, they're pros. They worked hard and did all the things, but they didn't do the extra things that it took to help to get these te this team over the edge. This team is way more athletic this year. They've got three center fielders playing in the outfield, so there's a lot fewer balls that are going to drop. Uh, you know, I, I got to figure that that Edwin Encarnacion is going to give me an Edwin Encarnacion year. He's an average uh, third baseman in the major leagues. Take a look around. Uh, you got a Gold Glover at second base. I think Joey Botto is going to be a stud for a long time. I don't really know what to expect from Jay Bruce this year, but I think overall they're going to be better. If for no other reason, their pitching is better this year than it is last year. You, you, we talked about the offense. Baseball prospectus, which is pretty highly respected, said the Reds are going to score 779 runs this year now. Or, you know. They also said that uh, Jay Bruce is going to hit 37 homers. Yeah. You believe that? No. Okay. <laughs> I'd love to see it. I, I belong, I'm a big Jay Bruce fan. Hey, I belong to baseball perspective. I mean, I read all those crazy formulas, the warps and warps and all this kind of stuff. But the, I understand a little bit of it. But um, you know what? I still am a guy that will try to use a combination of the statistics and what I know about the players, what I know about the internal drive, how, hard, how a guy can adjust. I want to see guys who can adjust. And I liked some of the, the makeup that they got on this team. Do you think this team can score more runs this year than it did last year? I hope so. I uh, I think they I, – I told Marty Brenneman at the onset of the season last year, we were watching some games in spring training, and they're all raving about the offense. You know, with Phillips and Carnacion, Dunn and Griffey, you know, if they can – they don't need Baco – you know, Corey Patterson, poor Corey Patterson. But you know what? <clears throat> I told him, I said, this team's going to really struggle for runs because this is a team that I'd like to pitch against because you don't have any really, really nitty-gritty players in there. You know, not, not enough of them anyway. you got a lot of big swingers that are trying to go deep, and those are the easy teams to pitch against. This year it might be a little bit different. 
I think if you if this team adopts a strategy that that uh, Brooke Jacoby has been trying to teach them, they'll be a better team offensively and they'll score more runs. If they go out and do what they wanted to do last year, they they do one thing in the batting cage and another thing on the field, they're not going to score as many runs. But I think that they're younger, and I think that they will be better this year than last year. Do you think they are markedly better defensively or marginally better defensively? I think they're markedly better uh, defensively. Um, Dunn and Griffey couldn't play defense anymore. I mean, Griffey played so deep in right field that Brandon Phillips was going three-quarters of the way to the wall to make catches over his shoulder because Junior was against the wall. Uh, he didn't want to be caught not being able to get back on a ball. Adam Dunn tried, but he was just challenged, defensively challenged. And uh, so right now in the outfield, you're better. And Carnacion is going to be a guy that makes the same kind of errors. He maybe get a little bit better here and there. He fields the ball well. It's all about throwing. Uh, I don't know about Gonzalez. Whether, I'm not sure what, the, what you're going to get out of him. But I think that, I think that overall, uh, they're going to be markedly better defensively. And, and when we talked a couple of years ago, you said you, the team always needs a home run hitter in the lineup. Does this team have one? Yeah. I think they've got, uh, they don't have, there's no Barry Bonds in the lineup. But I think they've got uh, uh, Jay Votto, uh, uh, Jay Votto, that'd be a pretty good combo. <laughs> uh, but I think Bruce and Votto are both home run hitters. Bruce had seven each in the last two months of the season. Um, and, um, and Votto's got pop. He's got plenty of pop. They're going to be home run hitters. The biggest need going into the offseason from everything that was said was a right-handed power hitter. They didn't get one. I don't see. I don't. I don't know if I buy that. I, I well, the stats showed they hit left-handed hitters better than. Biggest need was a guy who can get on base at the top of the lineup, because Corey Patterson showed us last year how non-productive your team will be when you have a non-productive leadoff hitter. True. Did we get a guy that's going to be? The well, that's, he's got. He's got a chance to be. Um, I hope so. You know, I hope so. I, you know, there was a time I really, really liked Willie Tavares. Uh, I said this guy's really got some upside. I'm hoping that we see some of that this year. Would you have done the Jermaine dive for Homer Bailey plus one deal? Well, it depends who that plus one was, and I'm not so sure there really was plus one. I heard that deal originally was, you know, as you said it. Then I heard it was more players involved than just plus one. Oh yeah, but, uh, that's crazy. So, but uh, I, I would have I would have been very intrigued to have uh, Jermaine die here. Yes, if it, if all it would have been is Homer Bailey plus one, depending on who that one was, I would have given a lot of thought. Let's talk about some individual players. What do you think of the deal Reds made for Ron Hernandez? I mean, he's a he's a 30-year, two-year-old catcher. He's coming off two bad years. He struggles with base runners and pass balls. Reportedly had some attitude issues. He only had 10 pass balls last year. You look around the league. That's uh, uh, that's about halfway. I mean, I mean, there's there's there are there are guys that I mean he. Let me put it this way: You gonna run Paul Baco out there again, and have a guy hit 200 or 180? I mean, the, the Reds had three outs together last year. They strung them together with eight, nine, and one. So every 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 nine hitters or every every six hitters, you got three automatic outs coming up again. You couldn't do that. Hernandez at one time was a pretty good catcher. I've talked to a lot of scouts about him this winter, and they tell me that the guy simply got lazy. He got beat down. Wasn't it Leo Mazzoni that said 
he was happy to get out of Baltimore because it was the most dysfunctional thing he'd, organization he'd ever been around. I really think that that has it can wear on, on players too, and I'm hoping that that's the case. You get a guy a new a new uh, place to play, you get him out of the, maybe the pressure of playing in the American League East, where he's facing you know tough pitching every time out there. I mean, look at the pitchers that they run in the American League East. The weakest pitching is in the Baltimore Orioles. He didn't get the kid against his own staff. Everybody else is running out studs. So I think he's going to have a better season this year than Baco did and, and uh, Hannigan. But I will tell you that what the scouts warned me about is his ability to really work with the pitchers and catch the pitchers as Baco did. He was excellent doing that, Paul Baco was. And I think that maybe from that standpoint, the Reds aren't going to get quite as good a receiver behind the plate. What did you see of, of Ryan Hannigan last year? What were your thoughts on I him? I like Hannigan. He's a dirt player, isn't he? Uh, I love the way he goes about it. He's always a guy that at every level has surprised. And he's, he's done more than what any of the scouts said that he could do. I love guys like that. Is Hernandez the starter no matter what happens in Absolutely. spring training? Absolutely, yeah. You know, that, that, the Hernandez deal was the third biggest deal. Uh, that anybody in the National League Central did. I mean, you take the two deals the Cubs did with with uh, Dempster and Milton Bradley, fifty-two million, fifty-two million, and then thirty million, like uh, and then the next ma- biggest amount of money deal made and was Hernandez. At what eight or something? Eight or nine, yeah. yeah. Um, I got to bring this one up. When we talked a couple of years ago, you said that Joey Votto might be a role player, and he was not a middle of the lineup guy. Want to re- revise that? I statement? retract that statement. <laughs> But, but to be honest, you also said you hadn't seen a whole lot. Yeah, I saw him in spring training. I think, and, and, and I think you said you had seen him maybe the year before when he had the bad year in Chattanooga, or the bad year in, in Sarasota, where they were still doing the, the, uh, the take the first pitch. Yeah, that, 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 you know what? Thanks for getting me off the hook right there. I, you know what? That's what friends are for, man. Pete Rose at 230 in, in A-ball, okay? So, <laughs> uh, I, I like, you know what I didn't know about Votto? It's Votto as a man. This guy uh, has a very focused look. He's got a steely-eyed approach. He's got forearms like fence posts, and uh, the guy's a stud, I'm telling you. He's got uh, those Steve Garvey forearms? He does have a Steve Garvey forearm. And do you see him as a, as a staying at first base, or do you think he'll end up being our left fielder? I wanted to see him get better at first base last year. Um, problem was, the Reds didn't have anybody around to teach him. Chris Byers, your infield coach, he's a middle infielder. He helped Brandon Phillips and, you know, whoever's playing shortstop. But they had nobody out there to teach Joey Votto. This year they're bringing Lee May down into spring training. Uh, he's, and he, you know, we, Lee and I have talked about this many times, about how Votto, all he needs to be is instructed. I mean, he's, he's an athlete. He's a good athlete. Uh, I'd like to see him uh, play first base and, and be there for a long time. Now, are you going to bring up Rionda Alonzo? All the people that say, Listen, this guy's so good, all he needs is one year in the minor leagues. <clears throat> Let's see what that one year in the minor league does to him. I'm the same thing. I mean, I've talked about this, and I talked, about, I talked with Logan Parker here a few weeks yeah. ago, and I'm sure you know Logan. He's one sure. of the guys out here. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Baseball America list is a joke. I mean, they've got Alonzo, Alonzo is number one on the Reds' uh, you know, uh, prospect list. The guys had two weeks of minor league game time other than Hawaiian League. They've got you know, two guys at the red side for big money in, 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 out of the Dominican that are 15, 16 years old. It's more about money than it is about, about talent at this point. But 
I, I'm with you on, on the Alonzo thing. Show me. Oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, you know what? I hope that he is everything as, as publicized. I mean, we all hope that. Absolutely. I mean, we'll find a place for Joey Votto. You know, yeah, we'll find a place for Yonder Alonzo. Hey, if the guy can hit, let's get him up here. But let's not let's not put the pressure on him to make it to the major leagues by 2010 or else he's deemed a failure. Same thing happened to Homer Bailey. Guy's not ready. He's obviously not ready. And uh, to, to push him and push him and push him, last thing you want the guy to do is read his own press clippings. You talked a little about Edwin Encarnacion earlier. And the Reds minor league organization, we seem to have a lot of depth at third base right now. We've got the Francisco kid, Frazier, this nephew Soto kid that played at Dayton last year. Do you see, and they just signed Encarnacion to a pretty good two-year deal, it seemed like to, to most of us that, that looked at it. Do you think he's a, a long-term Red, or does that contract make him more tradable as these guys come along? Well, it makes him more tradable. I mean, that contract gives him some security, gives the team some upside security, uh, it keeps him from having to worry about going to arbitration next year. So it's, it just gets him to his free agent year is what it does. <clears throat> they didn't pay him any more during that, during that contract than he would have if he goes to arbitration. Um, if he has a big it's the same way, same way the Phillips deal does. If he has a huge year, then they got him at a bargain. Yep. Uh, the, the key for Encarnacion is to be pushed. Every time they sent him down and brought him back up, he really got on a hot streak. But every time they kind of let him get set in his ways and go out there and, and swing and hack for home runs and come up empty and throw the balls in the seats with nobody else to be pushed out there, then he kind of played to that level. Now he looks around and he sees all the guys you just mentioned, and they're a step away. Uh, and if he doesn't start playing, they're going to find somebody else to play third base. Is Brandon Phillips the, uh, the new face of the organization? I don't know. What does that mean? The, the, the media the, the media darling, the, the guy that the, the, the Reds public relations people push? I hope there's not only one. Any good team doesn't have one guy. A good team has three or four. Give me Brandon Phillips, Jay Bruce, Joey Votto, you know, uh, Aaron Harang, Volquez Cueto, all on the media guy together. It's a team. This is what the, te- the, the Reds have gotten away from over the last few years with the Griffey deal, We're just by having Junior here. It made individuals more important than the team. And when you, sub- when you subtract some of those individuals, it's a lot easier now to mesh those 25 guys together. Okay, in the clubhouse, how is leadership determined in the clubhouse? And it, does this team have a leader right now in the clubhouse? Uh, there's always Good teams have more than one leader. You never have just one. Uh, if, if you're a bad team, you got one leader. If you're a good team... You know, Barry Larkin was never a leader until Greg Vaughn got here. And Vaughn needed, uh, 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 he was that little left-handed pinch hitter. Of, uh, uh, he was here all the time. From Miami. Uh, oh, Lenny, uh, Lenny Harris. Harris. Lenny Harris was a sergeant of arms. So those three guys were the leaders. Um, but it brought Larkin out of his shell so that he could really stand up and be a leader. Uh, do they have leaders? Yeah. Uh, you can't expect the, nobody's going to wear a C on their shirt. You know, Brandon would love to have that, but that's something that you earn. Uh, I think that's, and they're so young. You can't expect Bono or Bruce to step forward. Uh, I mean, you know, Brandon, you hope that he settles into more of a leadership role this year because he's out from underneath the Ken Griffey Jr. shadow. Um, and I think that really suppressed him last year from that standpoint. Uh, but at the same time, maybe Hernandez needs to be a leader. I mean, 
what I always thought that this team needs is a redneck enforcer, a guy that will get in somebody else's face when they're not doing playing the game the right way, when they're, when they're disrespecting their team or their teammates or the other team, and um, rally their troops around him. And may, I mean, redneck enforcer, that's not a racist term, okay? It, it, it could be Brandon Phillips, or it could be Ramon uh, Hernandez, or, or, or it could be Arthur Rhodes. Uh, hey, the redneck enforcer in, in the bullpen is David Weathers. And now you got uh, uh, Arthur Rhodes out there, too, and Cordero. All three of those guys are red asses. And that's the kind of guy you need in the everyday lineup to kind of help guide those guys. Does the pitching staff need a leader different or in, a, in addition to a, a you know, Yes, a... completely different. You can't lead when you're – you can't be a leader on your team when uh, when you're a starting pitcher. I go back to the days I was with the Expo. Steve Rogers was on that ball club. He was clearly the leader of the pitching staff, and he's one of the big honchos in the Major League Baseball Players Association now. But it was Gary Carter and Chris Spire and uh, Andre Dawson and – all those guys, Larry Parrish, going to listen to a, a, a guy that plays once every five days? Get out of here, Rogers. <laughs> Brandon Phillips. Dusty announced the other day he was going to hit, in the, at least at the beginning of the year, in the four spot. Do you like him in the four spot? No. I don't think Brandon does either, and I don't think Dusty does. Right now he's got no choice. Uh, and, you know, managers nowadays seem to want to make their lineups based on what the other team has in their bullpen because we don't want to have two left-handers in a row or three right-handers in a row. We need to break them up. And the Reds have kind of painted themselves in the corner by the way their roster is. Number one, their center fielder's got to be their leadoff hitter, unless Harrison plays somewhere else and he happens to be leading off that time. And number two, they really don't have a number four hitter unless you're going to put two lefties back-to-back, unless Jay Bruce tends up to be a number four hitter. I actually would, would prefer um, to see what Brandon Phillips could do if he cut his swing down, hit the ball the other way, he got great hand-eye coordination. I mean, the guy is very gifted. I want to see how good a complete player he can be as opposed to a guy who thinks he needs to be a number four hitter and swing like a number four hitter. Where would you hit Phillips? If you... I'd hit Phillips either second or fifth, and I'd hit Encarnacion fourth as it stands right now. Hey, isn't it time we find out what Edwin can do? I know he's only 25, but he's been around major He's been uh, at least three years plus in the big leagues. Four years? Okay. So this is his fourth coming up. He has three years to be eligible for arbitration. First time eligible. So, hey, I want to find out whether this guy is a franchise-type player or or a peripheral player. What better way to do that is to stick him in number four, see what happens. Now, he talked about that he thought he hurt himself last year by, by swinging for the fences too often. Do you think that would be compounded by putting him in the, in the number four spot? I think if you can get him just to hit the ball hard, the ball go out of the ballpark. Alex Gonzalez, is he the starting shortstop all, all season on this team if he's healthy? No. He's going to have to earn that position and hold it? No, no. I will, if he's healthy in spring training, he'll get the job coming out of spring training. Will he be able to play all year long? No. I mean, right now they're telling me he's, you know, you read what I read. He's doing everything but running 100%. Well, guess what? I think running 100% is one of the things you have to do. Wait till you get in a game situation and you have to run out to your position, you know, and in 18 sprints 
one from the dugout, to, not, maybe not a dead sprint, but you're running out to your position every time. You're taking ground balls. You're taking ground balls before the game. You're taking extra batting practice. You're running to stay in shape. Uh, I don't see the guy playing uh, anywhere close uh, to 150 games. That's why it's so important for Dusty to be able to use all of his players. He's got a lot of them that can play shortstop. You see, is, is Jeff Kepinger, is he a regular major leaguer or is he a utility guy? He's a utility guy. What's his best position, do you think? His best position is utility. He can play all positions. His best position is in the batter's box. The guy can hit. I think that he was really hurt last year with his knee injury, uh, and that's why he had an off year offensively. Uh, hey, can he play? I think he could probably play second base on an everyday basis, but he's not good enough to, to take over for Brandon Phillips. So, If Gonzalez... Can't go. And I'm of the belief that Harrison isn't going to stay healthy either. Harrison's not your shortstop. Yeah. If it was up to you, would Phillips go to shortstop and Kepinger go to second base? No. Too late to do that. You make that move before the season. Actually, you can make that move before last season. But, you, you know, when you knew that Gonzalez wasn't going to be Why around. didn't the Reds want to do that? Uh, I don't know. I, I know that for a long time, Jerry and Aaron thought that Brandon Phillips couldn't play shortstop. But he takes... Ground balls over there every day before in batting practice. And that's what he played in, in the minor leagues. Uh, in the, in the I like him at shortstop. I think he probably thinks he could play shortstop. But now that he's been at second base, he's won a Gold Glove. Now you're telling him, hey, you know, it's not broke, but we're going to fix it. So maybe it's too late now. How high is Jay Bruce's ceiling? It's the ball jumps off his bat. Uh, you know, this side of of uh, Josh Hamilton, obviously. But he's a lot younger than Hamilton, too. Um, guy's got great potential. He really does. I mean, he's not even a man yet. He's still a kid. He really is. And uh, He's, what is Jay, 21? Yeah. He just, he just turned 21, I think. And, and so when he, uh, you know, he asked me that again, you know, when he's 23, but I think he's got an incredibly high ceiling. He's a nice kid, too, isn't he? Wonderful kid. Wonderful kid. He grew up, he grew up respecting the game of baseball. What, what does he need to improve? He needs to have his confidence up. He went through a period last year where he was so afraid of striking out that he'd go up and swing at the first pitch he'd see early in the count. <clears throat> Pitchers began to, to bounce curveballs up there. First pitch, he rolled over, hit a ground ball to the first baseman, and at least he wouldn't have the embarrassment of striking out. Uh, it's all about confidence for Jay Bruce. Uh, and... You know, learning, learning the pitchers, you know, the typical things, shrinking the strike zone, learning how to hit in certain counts and so on. But as far as uh, uh, relaxing and seeing the ball, uh, if his confidence is up, he'll do that as well as anybody. Is Jerry Harrison a starter or a utility player? Utility player. Can he duplicate last year's offensive numbers? You know what? He told me last year that he was healthy for the first time in a long time, and that's the thing that's kept him back. Uh, I think as long as you don't overuse him, uh, will he hit three, what, 23 or whatever? I don't know. Uh, but he showed me flashes of, uh, of brilliance last year. He was an exciting player. And uh, I hope that he gets enough at-bats to stay sharp. Chris Dickerson, starter, platoon player? Starter for me right now. Uh, long range, I don't know. I haven't seen him enough. Uh, the guy's had a history of injuries. You know, uh, I saw him uh, during the fantasy camp a few weeks ago. He's gained about 12, 12 to 15 pounds. Looks solid. Uh, and um, guy's got tons of talent. I mean, the ball jumps off his bat, too. But he's always been a pretty boy. He's always been a guy that looks good in a uniform, but he's never really posted the kind of numbers you would expect. 
out of that kind of a body. Until last year in Louisville. Right. And then, so, when, and then when he came up. So maybe maybe it's clicked for him. I hope so. He's a wonderful kid. The Red signed Johnny Go- Johnny Gomes, I believe his name yep. is. Who's an, I just read an article about him. He's an incredible story. Heart attack at 23, yada, yada, yada. And he's coming off a horrible year. But he has a history of killing left-handed pitching. Does he have a chance to be the other half of a platoon making this team? Or does Jock Jones really hurt his chances? I don't think Jock Jones hurts his chances at all. I think that uh, Johnny Gomes is probably the guy that they're, they're secretly thinking he's, he's going to deliver the kind of punch we need. If you had to predict right now, tell me the Reds starting eight on opening day. I think it's pretty easy. I mean, you know, Hernandez behind the plate. Encarnacion, Gonzalez, Phillips, Botto, Dickerson, Willie, Tavares in center, and Bruce. Aaron Harang. There's all nine of them right now. There you go. One of them's a guarantee. Harang. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the best best res rotation since you've been around? Yes. What do you foresee? You, you see a you see a recovery year for a comeback year for Harang? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, the guy was. I mean, he was injured last year. He tried to pitch through it. You know, Aaron Harang, it's pretty easy to tell. Uh, first of all, his, his velocity dropped way off. And, but even in games when he's pitching right and his velocity drops off, hitters aren't centering the ball. They're fouling the ball straight back. What he does is short-arm the ball. Very, he has a short stride, very quick arm, and, he, and the ball doesn't sink as much as the eye would perceive it to sink, if you know what I mean. It's all about projecting where the ball is going to be vision-wise, right? His ball doesn't sink as much. And you see that's why you see so many foul balls straight back off harangue. It gets on you. When they started centering the ball and popping them up this dead center field instead of fouling them straight back, I knew there was something wrong with harangue. He'll be better this year. Volquez. Volquez is going to be hard to duplicate that first half, but he was terrible in the second half. Um, he ran out of gas? He ran out of gas, absolutely. I think he'll be better prepared for it this year as long as he doesn't blow anything out in the WBC. I hate that. WBC. You're not the only one. Um, Johnny Cueto. Cueto is so gifted. I just hope he doesn't fall in love with the slider like he did in the second half last year. He threw some games last year. He threw 40% sliders. That, uh, let's hope that doesn't happen again. It's tough on your own. Yes, it is. Bronson Arroyo seems like like an incredibly streaky pitcher to me. Do you agree with that? Oh, Stats bear that out. Why do you think that is? I mean, he's gone two years in a row. He went like 11 starts that winning a game. And then, then, he, did, then he was the best pitcher down the stretch. Yeah. Um, for him, it's fatigue. I think it's also taking care of himself. Um, as far as stamina, it's a long season. And he really needs to dedicate himself to staying strong. That's probably the, the, the biggest thing for him, I think. But what helped him last year was his realization that he could throw an inside two-seam fastball uh, and eat, eat right-handers up inside with it that he never had that pitch before. And he always used to try to elevate the fastball up with a four-seamer, get the hitters to chase it, and then fool them on a curveball. Well, they got to the point last year where they're just sitting down waiting for the curveball. His arm speed slowed down because he was go. Th- you know, pitchers go through hills and valleys as far as their 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 biorhythm and peak performance physically. And uh, on those in that period of time when he didn't have a lot of stuff, 
he kept trying to flip that curveball up there, and it became a frisbee, and they were they were waiting on it. Um, then he got his, his his fastball back a little bit, and he'd be able to use his two seamers. So I think that uh, he learned a lot about himself last year. I think hey, you know what he doesn't get credit for. He is an incredible competitor. I mean, this guy is an intense competitor. You look at him out there, you think he's just some kind of rock star, you know, posing as a pitcher. Hey, this guy, he wants to beat you in every game there is, from horse to tiddlywinks. Uh, this guy competes. The number five starter job. Is it an open competition, or is it Homer Bailey's job to lose? Homer Bailey doesn't have a chance of making this team out of spring training. Wow. Um, he's got options left. This is one thing we never consider at the beginning of spring training. And then it becomes the big word at the end of spring training. That's true. Okay? Um, this, this, this job comes down to, first of all, Homer's got to prove, number one, that he's co Number two, he has to prove that he can get big league hitters out on a consistent basis. That's going to be hard for him to do in spring training. Okay? He'll sneak up on the guys early in camp. We'll see down the stretch how that works. They they messed with Homer last year. They took his curveball away. They made sliders. He didn't like what they were telling him. He didn't buy into the program. Uh, he didn't want to get called up at the end of the year. He wanted to go home. Uh, he's come around a little bit from a coachable coaching standpoint, but he still has a ways to go. He just has to learn. He's still a young kid. This this is a three horse race. Ramon Ramirez. Micah Owings, Nick Massett. Outstanding. Thanks a lot, Chris Welsh, for taking some time out of your day to answer some questions from those of us here in the nation. And thanks a lot, Bill Lack, for another outstanding interview. Okay, that's about all for this edition of the Red Leg Nation Radio Podcast. First, before we sign off, I want to mention a couple of podcasts ago. If you'll remember, I made the recommendation, Slumdog Millionaire. But as you saw last night, if you watched the Oscars, at uh, Slumdog Millionaire won, of course, Best Picture. And I, I agree. It was a great movie. I really enjoyed it. So since we're on the subject, I'm going to go ahead and make you uh, another movie recommendation, my 10-second movie review. Best movie I saw, actually, in the last 12 months. In Bruges. Look it up. It's uh, Colin Farrell. It's a funny movie. It's just really quirky. It, just, it was really the best movie I saw in the last 12 months, so I couldn't, can't recommend it uh, more highly. Now, that's it for today. Let's go ahead and sign off on this podcast. If you want to subscribe, you can do so via iTunes, or you can click on the RN Radio tab at redlegnation.com up there at the top. Keep subscribed to the podcast so you can keep track of what we're doing. We'll see you again next week on the Red Leg Nation Radio Podcast. So long. Uh-huh.